Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. In 2 Peter, Peter is really trying to remind you, I don't know if you've paid attention to my name or the theme that I put on this series of 2 Peter, but he's trying to remind you of who you really are in Jesus. You are something. You've been given something. You've been brought about by something. You've been given the gift of faith. He opens up by saying that this was, this was faith, like precious faith that you have obtained. You've been given by God. So he's saying you, you've been changed. You've been transformed. You are somebody. In fact, um, one of the, uh, the key verses in here, which is uh, towards the end, he talks about, I want to bring to your remembrance, verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, I'm just trying to bring all this to your remembrance. And the reason he's trying to bring these ideas to our mind is there's a lot of people in this world that are fueled by Satan, fueled by their own flesh, who want to pretend, and they might even be convinced of it, that they're going to bring you some better word of wisdom, some knowledge, some hidden information. They want to, they want to quote unquote, help you, and they're going to help you outside of, away from God's word. And Peter's trying to tell you, listen, no, you, you don't need that. In fact, he's in chapter two, we'll get into this next week, but in chapter two, he's going to talk to you about some false prophets, some people who are going to try to lead you astray. He says, these people have not got the answers. He said, you know what you, you, know what you need to do? You need to go back to a very basic thing. And if you've heard me say it once, I hope you've heard me say it at least a hundred times. We have God's word and a God's word is the driving force behind what we say we believe and what we should be practicing. That's what we have. We don't need some eloquent man standing in front of us to unlock this. Again, I hope that I can be helpful to you as a pastor, but that's not my job is not to give you some word from heaven. I'm giving you the word from heaven already delivered. You understand that? So don't, so don't get this messed up. Some of these guys will try to give you this idea that whether they're standing in a pulpit or they're on the television or on a video screen or wherever they are, they're going to try to give you an idea like they've got some secret knowledge that's an old heresy. There's a word for it. It's called Gnosticism. Like they've got something you don't have. That's not the case. And Peter's saying, no, 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 you need to remember who you are. You are who you are because of the word of God. In fact, he begins in verse 16, just follow along with me if you don't mind. He says that we, he's, he, I should remind you that the verse is prior, he's saying, I'm, I'm gonna bring this word of God. I'm gonna bring these things to your remembrance. He says that up until verse 15. And he says in verse 16, the reason I'm gonna do that is for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Uh, some people's accusations against Scripture are going to be, well, that's just somebody's opinion. Somebody made that up. That's what, they, that's what somebody else said. It's, they, just, they, just, they made a story so they can make a religion and back it up. And, and Peter says, no, no, you're wrong about that. We've not made these cunningly devised fables. He says, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
He says, this is not an inventive story. This is not even a novel story. Yes, it's interesting information, but they didn't make anything up. They were there. This is not simply them trying to create a storyline. They were there sharing what was in their, what was in, was in their view. And by the way, if you wanted to go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those first four books, and we'll even do the, book, the Acts of the Apostles, those first five books of the New Testament, do you know what those are? Those are all eyewitness accounts of what happened with, of course, with the Gospels, with Jesus' life on this earth. The Acts, of course, those early days of the church, these are eyewitness accounts. And he's saying that this is them making known the story of Jesus. That's all, this, that's all he's doing here in, in, the, in the Gospels. And he says in verse 17, or 16, he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Then in verse 17, look what he says. For we received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. He is saying, the whole, the whole thing that we told you, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of that word that you heard from us apostles, that was something we saw with our own eyes. And when we saw it, not only did we see it, we heard a voice from heaven, and he's referring back to the Mount of Transfiguration, which is referenced in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, it's not referenced in John, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke all refer to this story of the Transfiguration. We recently went through it in Mark chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 9, verses 10 through, I think, verse 8, around in there. So we just recently went through it on Sunday morning. But in that incident, Peter, James, and John, they go up on the mountain, and Jesus is showing, is shown up in his glory. All of his glory is there. And while he's there, of course, we also know that there are some prophets that are with him as well that show there. But the main thing is Jesus is the centerpiece. And then out of the cloud, the voice of God, the Father, booming down and says, listen, this is my beloved son. Believe him. That's what he says. And J Peter is simply saying, listen, what I saw I told you what I saw. That's all I did was just write down what I saw. And by the way, not only did I see it, I didn't just tell you what I saw. The Father actually said, yep, that's what you saw. This is my Son, Jesus Christ. So God's Word, particularly the New Testament, which is what I think Peter is talking about in verses 16, 17, and 18, God's Word is an eyewitness account that has been validated by God the Father. Now, you can either believe that or not. Peter's saying that. I happen to believe that. I hope you believe it too. But that is what Peter is uh, elaborating for us. He says, listen, this is simply an eyewitness account. I was talking to somebody, this has been a few years ago, and they were having questions about, was well, the Bible real and all this sort of thing? And, and I said, well, it's as real. At the time, I remember we were talking about um, some war over in the Middle East. I think it might have been. Uh, the, the Iraq war at the time that we were talking about. I said, it's as real as the war that's going on in the Middle East. And I said, I've not been there. You've not been there. I only know about it because some people over there reporting to me about it. That's how I know about it. That's why I think it's going on. I'm not doubting the reality of it. I may not know all the facts that are going on, but I know what's happening. You understand? In the same way with the eyewitness reports of the, of the Gospels. How do we know what's going on there? Because some people who were there told us what was going on. And that's what the New Testament is. It is an eyewitness account. And if that's not enough for you, 
the Father, the God the Father, out of heaven, booms his voice down and says, this is true. This is my son. And that's what the whole New Testament's about. He goes on in verse 19 to say this. He says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now, I don't want to make sure you don't misunderstand him here where he says a more sure word. He's not suggesting that that is any way less than the New Testament and then what he's about to tell you is better than that. That's not what he's saying. He's simply using a phrase more sure to say it's just established. That's really what he's saying. It's established. There's no question. It's guaranteed. It is sure. That's really the the emphasis of that phrase. He says we also have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto ye do well that you take heed. So it'd be best if you paid attention to this. As unto a light that shineth in a dark place. He says this established word of prophecy, you need to pay attention to it. He says you're going to pay attention to it the same way that if you were in a dark room and somebody flips a little light on, just a little candlelight. What are you going to do? I don't know what you do when a light comes on in a dark room. You know what I do? Whoop, my eyes just go right to it. You can't help but look at it. That's what goes on. He says you need to pay attention to it in the same way. He goes on to say that it's in this shineth in a dark place, but then it happens until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. He says, first of all, we've got this more sure, this established word of prophecy. He's speaking there of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was always referred to as prophecy, not just because it was foretelling the future, but it was preaching the truth of God's word. It was, it was foretelling and what they say, forthtelling. That's what's going on in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, he said that has been established. One of the things you'll notice if you do any reading or studying about the, the history of the Scripture, at least in the modern era, there's very little debate about the Old Testament as far as what the books were, the order. There's some. I mean, there's always some oddball scholar out there that's got some opinion about something. But for the most part, the Old Testament, I mean, it's, it's as ancient as the Jewish people. They have, that's been long established, which is why I think Peter uses that, that concept of, this is stuff y'all know. This has been done. This is, not, this is not in debate. This is not up for discussion. It's already established. But he says it's best to pay attention to it because there's a light that's in it. And he gives this idea of this light that starts really small in a dark place. But then if you can imagine that, that over as the day comes in, the light starts filling that room and it starts overwhelming that overwhelming your your line of sight. That light that he's talking about, I'll just tell you, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, that light he's talking about is Jesus Christ. The, The Old Testament, the Old Testament certainly has a lot of stories, has a lot of laws, it has genealogies, it has all kinds of stuff in it. But one of the things you need to look at the Old Testament as is as it starts as the promised seed In Genesis chapter 3, there's a seed that's promised, and you can trace that seed all the way through the Old Testament until he is born of Mary in Matthew, and and you can see about it in Luke and other parts of the gospel. But that's where you follow that. It's the seed of, ultimately the seed of David. It's the seed, that, that promised thing that is coming, that promised Messiah, that anointed one. That's what the Old Testament is all about. And he does, he genuinely does start as a little light a little shiny, a little spotlight that says something, everything else around us is off and wrong, but there's something we have to look forward to. And then by the time you get to, you get to, um, to John, and John says that um, Jesus was that light that comes into the world and the darkness comprehends it not. The world doesn't understand what it's even looking at, but it overwhelms the world. 
Paul writes about it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, the Old Testament is established. The Jewish nation, I mean, even today, if you were to go to at least an Orthodox or conservative Jew today, they would not debate with you about which books were in the, they would say, yeah, that's, we believe that's, that's, the, that's the Bible, or the God, that's the, that's the, uh, that those are words from God. They would have believed that that would have been, that would have been established for them. But everything that goes on in the Old Testament is fulfilled, every promise that's there is fulfilled by Jesus Christ. It all looks forward to the work of Christ, to the, the offices that Christ would hold, his priesthood, his kingship. Um, he, he would be the one that, the, 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 his prophetic ministry. All of it looks forward to his sacrifice in his person. So not only is God's New Testament, his word established by eyewitness accounts and validated by the Father, the Old Testament is validated by the Son, Jesus Christ, because it's all prophesied and fulfilled in Jesus. Now, I want you to look at this last part here. Knowing this first, this is verse 20, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. No prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Whether you're talking Old Testament or New Testament, which is, I think, why he does talk about this idea of Scripture, the prophecy of Scripture. I don't believe, I think you may have both of them in mind. Whether you're talking about Old Testament prophecy or New Testament, may I use the word experience, because that's what um, Peter's saying, the eyewitnesses. Neither of those things are left to human interpretation. Whether you're talking about Amos receiving a word from God, whether you're talking about uh, Mark, as Peter tells John Mark what to write down about the experiences that he's enjoyed, or whether you're talking about the, uh, the John the Revelator as he writes down that vision from God in the book of the Revelation. Any of those things, those are visions, things that they saw, things they experienced, but none of those things are left to their own devices. They are literally being told what to write, how to write it, how to deal with this. They're being given this word. He explains that further in verse 21. He says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. He says here, that's not man's impressions. This is not man's opinions. And it's definitely not man's instructions. That's not what we are, we're holding in our hands. The Old Testament prophecy, the New Testament experience, it is we have what we have because he says there that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What I want you to understand about this book that you have in your hand, I think more than me wanting you to understand it, it's what the Holy Spirit wants you to understand because it's what he wanted Peter to write down about this book. What the Holy Ghost wants you to know about this book, the book I hope you hold a copy of in your hand, is that you can trust it for everything that you need pertaining to life and godliness. I'm quoting 2 Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 3. You have everything you need for life and godliness. Can I just tell you that, that you, if you have an emotional problem, a spiritual problem, a sin problem, you should be able to go to this book and get the comfort, the help, the direction, the instructions you need. 
This book has what you need to live the life you need to live. It's enough. It's everything you need. You can trust it. By the way, if you are going to be saved, or let's say you have a friend or a loved one that you want to see saved, how are they going to get saved? Because you live a good life? Because you walk in front of them in a certain way that shows them the way? Certainly we should back up our testimony with our life. I understand that. But the Bible tells me that it is through the incorruptible seed that we are born again. What's the incorruptible seed? Well, Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. It's the incorruptible seed of God's word. If someone that you love, someone that you care about, someone you do not want to see experience eternal damnation, if you know someone like that, what do, those, what do that person need? They need the word of God because it is through the word of God that I am saved. If you have doubts about your salvation, things that you're worried about, maybe you're saying, man, I don't know if I'm saved or not. If, if this is what, is, this, is there a problem with my life? I've heard that thing that the preacher just preached about and it doesn't seem like maybe, maybe he's saying I'm not saved. You know what you need to not listen to the preacher's opinion about your salvation? Do you know what you need to do? You need to go to the incorruptible seed and say, what does the Bible say about whether or not I'm saved? And by the way, I can help you if you need some help on that, but the scripture does plainly show us. First John's a great place to look, by the way, both for confidence and if you need it, a little conviction on whether or not you're saved. You can go there and look at that. There's other places in scripture, but the point is that if I need to have assurance of my spiritual condition, you may say, well, what about this, this thing that I feel guilty about? Some people think it's a sin. Maybe I don't, I'm not convinced of it. I feel guilty about it. Again, don't take my opinion for it. Don't ask around what this person's opinion for it. What does God's word say about it? Because it is what your, the word of God needs. It, it gives you everything you need in order to live a, a godly life. Some of you, I believe, rightly so, want to grow spiritually. You want to grow in your walk with the Lord. And I think that's a wonderful thing. I want to encourage you in that. But you know how you're going to grow in your walk with the Lord? Now, I don't have anything against good Christian music. I don't have anything against good bluegrass music, for that matter, of any sort. Uh, I'll listen to a little Dooley if I need to. But, but I don't have anything against the music. I really don't have anything against music. I think music can be helpful and encouraging. It absolutely can. It can build you up. I, I don't have anything against that. I don't have anything against reading a good Christian book by a good author who's, who's helping you think rightly about some things. Those are good things to do. There's not, honestly, there's nothing wrong with, in fact, something very right with maybe setting aside some time to listen to some preaching. That's something I do a lot is I'll try to listen to different preachers and try to hear what they have to say about things. It's a wonderful thing to do. It is encouraging to you. But never substitute explanations of Scripture with the Scripture itself. You need those other things. Those are nice supplements. Those are nice additives. But you need to take some time to grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ by going to his word. You're going to have to spend some time yourself in the scripture. By the way, we are to grow by the knowledge of his word. Peter talks about this in 2 Peter 3.18. So he's, he's actually making that point. You're only going to grow in your spiritual life in as much as you grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only source of knowledge that I know of is right here. Now, can you experience God? I do believe you can. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, not going to preach against that. 
But I believe that the prescribed way that I'm going to know about the Lord is not my emotional experiences, not my physical experiences, but by the revealed word of God. Do you want to know God? Open his book. No, no different than if I wanted to know my wife better. I'm not going to go talk to Mark Ridge about her. I'm not, I'm, he might know her. He might know a few things about her. They may have had a conversation, and he might be able to help me a little bit about her, but there's nothing going to substitute just sitting down and talking to her face-to-face. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I think the same thing absolutely applies to God. Can you learn something? Can I help you as your pastor standing in a pulpit pointing you this way or that way? Absolutely, I can be of help to you. But there will never, ever, ever replace taking God's word that has been validated by the Spirit, has been validated by the Son of God, has been validated by the Father himself, given by men's eyewitness accounts, given by established prophecies in the Old Testament, given given by the inspired word of God. There's nothing that can replace you just taking some time, cracking the book, and hearing what God has to say to you. Nothing can replace that. And by the way, can I just go ahead and tell you, don't let anybody replace that. Don't let anybody replace that. I don't know if there may come a day where that may not be. I know Bibles today, I mean, I've got probably, I was looking at it today. I was actually, literally, I was debating. This is so silly, and it's, this is like the, this is the epitome of too muchness. I was debating which Bible I was going to bring up here to preach out of this afternoon. I literally was doing that. And I said, why am I doing this? I'm just going to preach with the one I'm comfortable with right now, and I'm just going to do that. I, I literally have so many different Bibles to do that with. And I'm sure you might have the same thing, at least two or three of them at your house. And if you don't have a physical copy, you probably have one on your phone, and you might have two or three apps on your phone. The point is, we today have a lot of this, and it's almost overwhelming to the point where we just ignore it. But there may come a day where we may not have that availability, and we better be careful not to allow the Scripture to leak out of our lives. All of that is to simply say, and I want to make sure I get this point across to you, What Peter's doing in this passage is he is both offering an apologetic or a defense of the word, but he's also putting a sword in our hands to attack false teachers with. He's protecting, he says, yes, I want you to know when you hear these falsehoods, you can pull up the word of God and know that it's trustworthy. And you can compare what someone is saying. I would encourage you, anyone, myself included, that stands behind this pulpit as you sit in those pews and you hear them preach, don't swallow what we say. Take it and compare it. And, and don't just compare that verse to what words I say. Compare scripture to scripture. This is what we're supposed to do. Look at what it says. Now, I think if you will do that and do that with the Holy Spirit's direction, you're gonna figure out real quick who's lying, And who's telling the truth? I really do. I really do. I believe that this is a supernatural book and there is one interpretation. There are many applications, but there is one interpretation that is right. And I'm not going to get it right every time, but if you'll compare Scripture to Scripture with the Holy Spirit of God, I can guarantee you're going to land in the right place. Promise you that. The problem is, too many of us, we don't trust God's Word. We trust a teacher. And Peter's saying, no, 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 God can be trusted. He will never lie to you. We have to be cautious of false teachers because that's what they do. They lie to us. And I want to go so so far as to say, I think some of them are lying to us and they don't even know they're lying to us. I think they are convinced of their own lies. That happens. Good people, good-hearted people, but have 
misunderstood and not approached the scripture faithfully as they should. Maybe they're just being lazy. I don't know. There's any number of reasons, but we have to understand that it's not the man that can be trusted. It is the book. It is our God who can be trusted. God can be proven. I don't mean necessarily that you can prove that God exists. I'm not trying to argue a philosophical argument. I'm simply trying to say that you can test God and he passes the test every time. He's been proven time and time and time and time again. I, I can tell you that in my own life. He's, I can testify to that. Some of you can. And we're told in 1 John chapter 4 that we are to test the spirits, whether they be of God. He gives us the one litmus test. If you were to go to 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he gives us one litmus test that'll, that'll pretty certainly weed out a lot of garbage. He says the Holy Spirit is the one that testifies of Jesus Christ. If they're talking about something else, they're pointing you to some other Savior, that's a pretty good idea. They're not, the, they're, not, they're not worth listening to. But he says that God can be tested, God can be proven, and God can be believed. Every promise that God has ever put out there, he has either fulfilled, and that's the vast majority of the promises in this book, or they are prophetic, meaning they are yet to be fulfilled. And that's a very small portion, by the way. Just to be honest with you, there's only a small portion of those. And those things, you can see sign after sign after sign that he's heading in that direction. So God can be believed. Not all men can be believed. Not all people can be believed, and you know that in your own experience. I'm not just talking about people who propose to preach to you. I'm talking about people who want to talk to you, people who want to work for you, people who want to, want to hire you. Those people can't be believed either. The point is that people can't be believed. Jesus even says this in Matthew chapter 7. He says that there's going to be people in that day that come to him and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out devils. In thy name done many works. And then I will profess unto them, he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Point is that I think we can lie to ourselves and people can lie to each other and people even lie to God. So don't, I'm, not, I'm trying to give you a healthy dose of skepticism about what any man says to you, or any woman for that matter says to you. I want you to have a healthy dose of skepticism I want you to beware of false prophets. That's where Peter's going to go next. We'll talk about that next week. We're going to talk about what he says about false prophets. But I want you to go into this world as you listen to the radio, as you look into the internet, as you listen to preachers, as you open books, as you listen to whatever you watch, listen to, read, especially when it comes to scriptural matters. But by the way, it leaks into all areas of life because we got false prophets on CNN and Fox too, by the way. We got to watch out for those guys. But the point is, as we do that, we need to be comparing what they say, not to believe them, but believe God first and foremost. So what, does it what, does, what is what they're saying? How does it compare to what God has already revealed to us? That's what we must do. They're going to suggest that you need something that they have. And I want to tell you right now, you don't. You've got the one thing you need. If you've got a copy of the Bible... You've got the one thing you need. In terms of information, insight, those kinds, you've got it right here. I'll tell you one further. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. You've got the person that you need to interpret that. 
Now, I believe God has ordained teachers. He's ordained pastors, teachers. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about that. I think it's a right and proper thing for people to teach us and for us to teach one another and help one another. We encourage and strengthen one another. That's a right thing. But as a, as a receiver of that, I'm not receiving the man or the woman. I'm receiving the word from God, and I'll take what they're saying and pass it through the filter of, does the Holy Spirit agree with that? Does the Scripture agree with that? And that'll keep us right every time. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.